1: up let your wise rise up see the signs of the times if it's time rise rise up rise up when death and hell dwell among all god's people when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get Top villain Rise up when rise famine up. claims rise millions. Up. When justice gives blind eyes to billions. When the Lord's anger is no longer feared. If His protection is gone and your enemies are near. If you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break and fall. If the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all. Rise up. No matter if the prize hey, is
2: New Abolitionist Radio on the Blacktop Radio Network, perdition. a
1: program that seeks if
2: to educate, inform, despised. and act. On the issue of 21st century legalized slavery, hosted by social activist and and spoken word poet Max Partis and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the July 25th, 2018, live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. In our lead story, A suspect in the murder of BLM leader and new abolitionist, Mouyadeen Baja is in police custody. We'll talk about that later tonight. On and near this day in history, on July 28, 1868, the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified. It granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including former slaves, and guaranteed all citizens equal protection of the laws. This was one of the three amendments passed during the Reconstruction era to allegedly abolish slavery and establish establish civil and legal rights for black Americans. It would become the basis for many landmark Supreme Court decisions over the years. Instead, it created a new class of oppressed citizens as convicts enslaved and leased out for labor under the 13th Amendment were not considered former slaves. On August 1st, the slavery abolitionists Act of 1833 abolished slavery throughout the British Empire. This act of the Parliament of the United Kingdom expanded the jurisdiction of the Slave Trade Act of 1807, making the purchase of ownership of slaves illegal within the British Empire, with the exception of the territories in possession of the East India Company. Now, in direct news, a nationwide prison slave labor work strike is being called for on August 21st through September 9th. If you know somebody inside, tell them what's going on. And if you're on the outside and you want to help, you can contact organizers at We U-B-U-N-T-U, at gmail.com. The Right to Vote campaign also needs your support. It's a nationwide campaign being initiated by people currently confined in the United States. The campaign grew out of the August 21st National Prison Strike Demand, specifically point number 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is William Lloyd Garrison, December 10th, 1805 through May 24th, 1879. He was a prominent American abolitionist, journalist, suffragist, and social reformer. He also formed the first abolitionist society in favor of the immediate freeing of all slaves and published the famous anti-slavery paper, The Liberator. In, honor, in his honor, I will read one of his poems tonight instead of his well-known bio. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad today is Marcel Brown of Oak Park, who after 10 years in prison was exonerated for a murder he did not commit. As always, we have a little time and a lot of information, so be sure to follow the information we provide on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio, so you can see it in real time as we talk about the stories. Also remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at www.community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Your support is even more crucial today. It's ride or die season. You'll find the links for today's program on our Abolitionist Planning page, which is available at, at the BTR community to its members. If you've got a question or a comment, you can call us at 704 802 5056. And you can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty?
0: Hey, what's up, Max? Um, not feeling too good right now because of this news. I just literally saw it five minutes ago, well, maybe 20 minutes ago, about this person arrested for killing our abolitionist brother um, de, um, Muhuddin DeBaha. man I, I'm just really disgusted man I, I'm just re- I'm not in a good place right now so I'm just going to state that off the top
2: yeah um, immediately after the news was released uh, minutes after it came out Jeanette Smith another abolitionist and comrade out here in South Carolina sent me the link so that's been on my mind and heart all day long Because, you know, Mouria Dean wasn't just an activist to us, you know what I mean? Here on the program, he's been several times. He was an abolitionist, a new abolitionist, and he was really out there making changes and and really confronting the uh, powers that be about the issue of the 13th Amendment and slavery abolitionists. And more than that, he considered me his mentor, and he and I have on many occasions uh, worked together on a variety of projects towards these goals. So, it is home with us right here. This is this is our, our brother that was murdered, senselessly murdered. I still, Scotty, believe that this was something that was set up. You know, I, I still believe that he had just gotten to this rise and uh, people being aware of his message and who he was, and it became a threat. So the person that they arrested today um, in regards to his murder, I suspect, wasn't involved alone.
0: Well, I don't like to speculate too much unless I have some evidence to speculate, because just to be honest with you, Max, I think there are too many conspiracy theorists um, in the black community. You know, we hear everything from the government is legalizing weed because the weed is turning black men into homosexuals and just all this crazy stuff, man. That ain't got nothing. It don't matter to me. You know, and and just some of the craziest stuff. So I'm always a skeptic, man. I like to see the evidence. So, you know, is it it possible? Yes. It's also possible that we just had uh, um, a, a killer in the community trying to rob somebody. And then when they couldn't rob him, they decided to shoot him. It happens every day in our communities. You know, I'm pissed off not just about reading about his murder, but, you know, I feel like if, if if he wasn't well known, it wouldn't have been no tips to come in on that tip line. Nobody would care. Just like nobody seems to care about, you know, one of my neighbor's son who was murdered in Charlotte earlier this year that really really hurt my daughter because they were kind of close they weren't dating or anything but they known each other since elementary school and and he got ambushed by some drug dealers in in Charlotte and nobody seen nothing so this kind of stuff happens in 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 all over America man so I'm just gonna be real about it I'm very pissed off Right now, because it's just too much senseless murder going on. Here we are trying to get the slave catchers to stop killing us, but at the same time, we can't seem to stop killing each other. And I'm just gonna be real about it.
2: What, what, Scotty? What makes you think that what I'm saying is conspiracy theory with no evidence?
0: Because Max, there hasn't been any evidence. I, you know, I said it's possible that other people were
2: involved. Okay. But where's the evidence? Well, as you know, I've been under police oppression and government oppression for almost two decades. I was on here on New Abolitionist Radio when they burned the house down across the street from me and drove off the police car. Remember that? I was also here where they would ride up on air when they would ride up to my house and put their headlights in my front window. Um, You know, I've been involved in this and dealing with these types of threats and things like that for a long time. When I went over to St. Louis, for instance, uh, when we got the award over there, I was told if I showed up, I wouldn't be coming home or I'd come home in a box. If I came over there with that anti-police rhetoric, that's the type of threat that I deal with personally. And when I was with New they literally put stuff like that into action. Remember on July 4th, when we was down there with John Smith uh, doing the burn and bury, the police literally kidnapped his ass right there in front of all of us, you know? We've seen their reaction to him <clears throat> and what they have been doing the fight against him and his narrative. He was one of the people that were working down there in Charleston to get police oversight through uh, citizen control, where you know they would be in charge of certain things, much like they're doing in Asheville. So the potential for these types of things to happen is not only possible, but in his instance and in, even in mine or yours, it's highly likely. It's the type of thing that they do. Okay,
0: and like I said, it is likely. I've been under government surveillance since 2008 when I launched Black Talk Radio Network. Okay? Um I've had I've had government uh agencies try to hack into my computer. And if I didn't have the proper uh defenses, you know, in terms of um my computer security, they would have been successful. But again, Max, anything is likely but I haven't seen no evidence. You you just gave me some circumstantial evidence. I mean, it, it, it yeah, you know right. these it sort of things
2: him. happen all the time. Okay. I just find it so hard to believe that he's gone for no reason at all. Especially well,
0: I don't, sense. Max. I don't, Max. The reason I don't is because these murders happen all over the all over the country every day, all day long.
2: Did you read about who killed him and uh, what? had occurred with him and the court systems
0: i read that he tried to knock him off the bike this is according to the tip that they got he tried to it was a possible robbery tried to knock him off the bike when he couldn't knock him off the bike he shot at him allegedly again this is a suspect he hasn't again i haven't seen any evidence in court but again if it turns out that he is the killer, and I don't care if he was working for the government. You know, the Black uh, Black Panther Party um, was uh, set up. I mean, the COINTELPRO had plenty of black FBI agents working for him. Fred Hampton was killed by a black uh, Chicago uh, cop. Well, not who was in on that assassination. Okay, Malcolm X was killed by black assassins and what have you. So it doesn't matter to me whether they was working for the system or not. Okay? I'm just, I'm just tired of the murders, man. I'm tired of the senseless murder. I'm tired of the state of the world. But, again, like I told you pre-programmed, I don't have too much to say, Max, because I'm in my feelings right now.
2: Okay. Well, I'll read this story so our listeners can hear it. Um, and then add some commentary at the end. I'll take this particular story that comes from the Post and Courier. And it says New Orleans police have arrested a suspect in the fatal shooting of Charleston area Black Lives Matter activist Moyadine Moya. Moya, known widely as Moyadine de Baja, rose to prominence as an advocate for change in police practices after the 2015 shooting of Walter Scott by a North Charleston officer. The 32 year old was staying in New Orleans in February when he was gunned down on the street, possibly in a robbery, possibly in a robbery, authorities said at this time, little was known about the identity of his killer. That changed when homicide detectives got a tip through Crime Stoppers helping to break open the investigation. A $5,000 reward had been offered. And I'd like to point out that I had really pushed that reward in any way that I could, hoping somebody would come with this information. And fortunately, they did. The investigation, investigators identified 26-year-old Roosevelt Iglis as the perpetrator, the New Orleans Police Department said Wednesday in a statement. Officers arrested the suspect Tuesday on Iberville Street. Iglis faces a count of second-degree murder as well as possession of heroin and amphetamine charges, court records show. After an initial court appearance, he was held in jail Wednesday without bail. Iglis has passed arrests in New Orleans on drug charges as well as a 2016 charge of illegally carrying a weapon record state. Moy's sister, Kimberly Duncan of Somerville, said the arrest came as a surprise to loved ones who heard little about detectives' progress in the probe. I was totally in shock, she said. It came from out of nowhere because the last time I talked to the police, it was, we've got nothing unless someone comes forward. Camille Weaver of Tennessee, his niece, also worried that the case would go unsolved, so I'm really happy we're getting answers, she said. I know this is going to give those who knew and loved Moya some much-needed peace of mind. In April 2015, Moya helped arrange the first meeting between Scott's family and Fidan Santana, the bystander who filmed the killing with his cell phone. He made headlines again last year when he was grabbed, when he grabbed a protest Confederate flag on live television, prompting his arrest. Moya's shooting about 1.30 a.m. February 6th was captured on surveillance video. The Times, picayune and New Orleans reported, citing arrest documents. He was riding a bicycle on Bainville Street when someone tried to knock him down, the report states. As Moya tried to ride away, the man shot at him several times. The documents said, according to the newspaper, Moya was hit in the thigh. Officers found him bleeding on the ground near the mountain bike. He later died at a hospital. The witness, whose information led to Ignace's arrest, told police the suspect had a 9-million-millimeter handgun that night, but it wasn't clear if the person saw the shooting, the Time Pecum reported. In North Charleston, Pastor Thomas Ravenall of Empowerment Baptist Church had befriended Moya amid the rallying, rallying that followed Scott's slaying. <clears throat> the void left by his death has become apparent in the area, Ravenel said. He has greatly missed, the pastor added to get this type of news it starts with the healing process but it's only a start and that's the entirety of that particular um report and And i'm like the family
0: too i didn't i didn't expect anybody to now if nobody again max again i'm not trying to be disrespectful or, or anything or or not recognize your feeling anything is possible but it is more likely that if the government was behind this, that there would have never been any kind of arrest. It had just been one of the many, 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 many unsolved uh 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 murders of black people in this country.
2: Lewis Scarcella.
0: As Otis points out, as oldest point points out, hardly any of these uh uh people get arrested. Okay. So yeah, I Louis Garcella sets people up with drugs and, and all that kind of stuff or or does things like that. But come on, man. Let's not pretend like like crime isn't happening, like we aren't killing each other. So I didn't expect this man. I didn't even expect an arrest. If it was the government, why arrest anybody? Okay.
2: I was looking at the charges against uh, the guy that they said killed him. And I saw that uh, at one point he was arrested on marijuana charges, possession of marijuana, and also gun charges. They gave him five years in prison for the marijuana charges and six months suspended sentence and six months probation for the gun charge. If that's not backwards as hell, I don't know what it is. And uh, apparently then just recently When this happened He had been released from jail again For being incarcerated over marijuana possession
0: Okay, we I report mean,
2: on that type of stuff all the time It's it's like this is a person Who had been Institutionalized within the system itself He just got out of jail <laughs> Okay, so there's a story there. If anybody wants to comment on this, uh, I know we have listeners who uh, are familiar with Muyadin de Baja and uh, also have a relationship with him. So if you want to s- comment and say something now, it would be a good time. Okay. All right. Well, if, <clears throat> if you do want to say something, remember to press star star on your, uh, on your phone in order to unmute yourself. And also remember to unmute your phone itself as well. So that's just press star, star, and unmute yourself. In any case, uh, if not, Scotty, uh, I want to play a clip of Moya Dean. As a matter of fact, when he was here on New Abolitionist Radio with you and I. I'm going to get it, and I'll put it up into the chat room for you, Scotty, said you can pull it up. And let's listen to what he was about in his own words while he was here with Scotty and I on New Abolitionist Radio. Here it is, Scotty.
0: Should be starting momentarily. Give me just a second.
2: Yeah, this is a, a seven-minute clip from right here on New Abolitionist Radio um, just before he was murdered, where we talked about what we were trying to achieve.
0: All right, I'm ready, Max. All right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, I was
2: bragging about you, you know, uh, I really feel like you're a brother who could take what you know now and incorporate what you've been doing probably for your entire life and make some serious changes because you're not that type to sit back and let things happen. I've seen you involved in everything, including the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, that branched out in Charleston. And as I mentioned earlier, organizing the Days of Grace events, working with the uh, dock workers union down there and educating them uh, and incorporating their assistance into the movements that you're involved in, man. So yeah, I'm very proud to know you. And it has been a pleasure and an honor to be warrior, a warrior at your side on several occasions.
3: Much, much, much blessing, big brother. appreciate the awakening. Um, to understanding the storyline. Uh, each time we get to, uh, to have another jewel that adds to, to, the, to the storehouse of jewels that we get to, to reveal um, within this work, you know, uh, uh, we, just, we just become more powerful for it and the movement becomes more powerful for it and the truth shines a lot brighter for it.
2: Word, man, why don't you tell us a little about who you are, uh, the man behind the stories, if you, if you don't mind and uh, what it is you're working on right now and some of the plans for the future. And Also, if you get the opportunity, you made a wonderful suggestion earlier today when you were saying that tomorrow is the, uh, September 17th is the 228th anniversary of the signing of the U.S. Constitution, and, uh, we celebrate that tomorrow on Constitution Day, and maybe we should get together and do something constructive for that day to bring awareness to the 13th Amendment. Yeah, that's a great idea, brother,
0: uh, point out the fact that the debate that they were having around the constitution whether or not to abolish slavery during that time that hey that debate still ain't over and we still ain't abolished slavery
3: truth be told truth be told in my journeys uh, as, as a first of, of, a, of a black man and then moving into an african and even deeper into a gala Uh, My experience has been that the deeper my history can go into the reality of how the laws, the constructs and the threat of violence and the savagery of white supremacy has impacted my mindset and how I move in this world. And so as I uh, understand exactly how the laws, practices, policies and procedures have been laid out to create systems of inequity that seem justified and enforced bylaw upon me and my people to a degree that's different than um european descent when i live in that reality like there's a sense of justice that never got turned off and i and i definitely give thanks and praise to to my baha'i faith to my my dad's islamic faith to my grandparents pentecostal faith to my other grandparents jehovah witness faith for for allowing me to understand that, you know, when when your sense of justice is turned all the way up, you got a lot of work to do. But when you allow that sense of justice to be turned down just enough that you are self-preserving that you are protecting your reputation, that you're not able to speak the truth to the power, that you're able to tell children that that's just the way it is or that's the way it's always going to be. When we continue to do stuff like that, we're, we're stealing their sense of justice. We're stealing their humanity. And that's happened on both sides in this white supremacy game. We have European brothers and sisters that have been assimilated into a whiteness that allows them to stand while prejudice is in their presence. We have blackness that has been... assimilated into white supremacy that stands silent and takes that oppression. And so we have a sense of justice that is underdeveloped. And I would say that within the Black Lives Matter movement, one of the things that we're doing as we gain our maturity is understanding that that sense of justice has to go far beyond Understanding the constructs that were given to operate in the, the constructs of thinking about police brutality without thinking about the constructs that actually created the police to begin with in our in our in our surroundings, the context of why those police were there and who hired them. The capitalists that that started this whole experiment of of, uh, American slavery, you know, the the police have always done their bidding. And so this is not a new thing. And it's an old story. And it's such an old story that when we don't tell it all the way from the time before we got to these shores that we miss out on important knowledge like the 13th amendment like the 13th amendment 13th amendment
2: absolutely brother a- absolutely and uh you mentioned the history like you know understanding the history gives you a better perspective of everything particularly the history of why we have these police the way we do right now we were just talking on our last broadcast about how uh, we were talking about it, Scotty Scott Reed and I we were talking about on one of his broadcasts, about how these police net have uh, quotas, for instance, in New York, and, and very likely in Charleston as well, and all across America, and if you keep hiring these police to fill these quotas, it's just gonna show that you need more police, and they're just gonna keep arresting people to fill those quotas, whether there is a crime committed or not. And when they run out of crimes, they're gonna have their lawmakers make more crimes so they don't lose their jobs. And it just keeps spreading more and more to criminalize an entire people. The Southern police, and particular in Charleston, still wear a badge that shows exactly how far back their origins go, as slave cast, slave cast, slave cast. Slave cast, slave cast.
3: This is the truth. We had um, Andy Savage, who's a lawyer for uh, Michael Slager. As a part of Michael Slager's defense, Michael Slager told that the reason he he stopped Walter Scott was because he had to fulfill a a quota of three stops. And then he tried to shirk his, his responsibility onto the mayor and the police chief in doing that, they're starting to tell on each other. And if we're getting to this point, that means we got to leverage and we have a truth force to actually uh, bring, bring the story to light of exactly what policies, practices, and procedures are actually retaining this system of, of white supremacy and, and slavery. I'm particularly interested in naming those practices and procedures and then being able to uh, abolish them. And being able to keep track of how a policy that's enacted, uh, such as the policies of the war on drugs, you know, had an impact almost immediately. We have the ability to aggregate big data sets right now to see those trends lines before they actually impact our community in in detrimental ways. And so I'm definitely in a solutions mindset. I, I do think that we all have a sense of, of of how they're moving, but I'm not sure if we have a sense of uh, what to do to do dismantle the way that they're moving.
2: Well, I know you've uh, helped put together proposals of reform, uh, presented them, uh, at least successfully on one occasion and unsuccessfully on one other occasion, uh, to, to Charleston, uh, I guess, would be the mayor's office?
3: Yeah, the mayor and then the public safety committee, yep.
2: And the public safety committee, uh, looking the changes, changes then. I remember you reaching out to me uh, with... Some advice on what uh, I would like to add to that conversation And of course that was how we really got into The abolitionist conversation to begin with But um, what was the How does that The reforms that you proposed to them Have they incorporated those now Particularly including the uh, citizens Review board
3: No, uh, of course not. Uh, The reforms that we we are asking for are structural reforms. And so when you talk about structural reforms, you're talking about changing power dynamics. And people uh, in power are not interested in changing power dynamics. So a citizen review board that has investigatory powers, that has subpoena powers, that would allow the community to actually have oversight with teeth to pull officers Pull their cards anytime that they're messing around in our community and doing something that they shouldn't be doing. It allows us to actually impact the training and the policies of how they deploy their weaponry when they deploy it. allows us to create policies that affect the advancement, how they advance, when they get demoted, why they get demoted, and where the community's voice is and actually identifying what policing policies would actually work in a particular community. But we're moving into a whole nother, like realm as we're learning and we're growing because that was reform, and we're, we need to get and adopt the language of abolishment and so we're moving towards abolishing the, the, the right of an officer to carry lethal weaponry we're looking towards the, the, to the point of abolishing police from our neighborhoods and actually developing the capacity to meet the, the mental health needs of our own community to meet the because uh, that's where we look at uh, addiction we look at it as a mental health need because those are our family members we don't we're not walking around thinking that we're living next to criminals and anytime that we adopt that language you know we're, we're practicing white supremacy so we're not talking about black and black crime we're talking about brothers and sisters that are that are that are dealing with something internally that need some love and need some support and need us to rally around them develop some economic independence so you know we can eat however we need to eat that's, that's not going to be stepping on each other's toes and so the, the discourse. Uh, that that we're kind of moving into is away from the whole reform ideology. We understand that there's already been a movement for civil equality and and to be able to sit down and to have these reforms. The 13th Amendment was a reform of slavery. I mean, we're done with these reforms. Let's get into this abolition. Abolition. abolition.
1: abolition. 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 There you
2: have it. In his own words right here from New Abolitionist Radio, that's what he was about when he was talking about. You know, he pointed it out. 13th Amendment was a reformation of slavery. That's That's what what it was. It was 13th 14th and 15th Amendment reformed slavery.
0: What really pisses me off, man, and it was demonstrated in this clip. But I was thinking this earlier today. If this is his killer, if this is the man who killed her, and I was thinking this dude might have, have, mental health problems, he might have some kind of problems with lead poisoning, which a result of lead poisoning is violent, violent behavior and what not, but, but that, that he would be one of this guy's biggest advocates that's what pisses me off he just advocated for the guy, his own his own suspected killer he was just advocating for him Yes,
2: and isn't that the irony of
0: it? Yes And that's why I'm pissed
2: mm-hmm. Well, there's another video of him That I want to play And it really brings home why uh, He might be a target Of any kind of oppression From powers that be We did happened to be on MSNBC one day With the talking heads there Which included the president Of the NAACP And he did the one thing that you're not allowed to do on uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, or any of these uh, major corporate-owned media news outlets. And he mentioned the 13th Amendment and broke it down. And it pissed them off so badly. Uh, I think we should share that moment with our audience. Not only for the sake of the but also also just to show you what it's all about.
0: I'm sorry, Max. Um you ready? Go
2: to the clip, I got it. Yes, sir. Uh, you'll be listening to Muyadin DeBaha on MSNBC with the talking heads, including the head of the president president of the NAACP. Clinton a short time ago. Uh, also with me,
4: uh, Mohia Dean DeBaha, Baja an organizer with Black Lives Matter. Uh, Mohia Dean joining me uh, not far away, down 26 in Charleston. Mohia Dean, I'll come to you in just a bit, but Mark, uh, let's talk about that meeting that you had with the Secretary. What did you say to her? What we,
5: did she say to you? So we shared with her the 21st Century Agenda for Jobs and Freedom. We've promulgated uh, a comprehensive agenda that covers economics, education, criminal justice reform, uh and police reform, uh health issues and voting issues. This is a comprehensive agenda we've shared uh, shared today with Secretary Clinton. We'll share it with every candidate who sits down with us and what it what it involves is detailed ideas, policy prescriptions to deal uh with many of the systemic challenges and issues that we face as a nation particularly what African-Americans and other communities of color face. So the meeting was really about what we shared with her and about a dialogue about our thinking. And around the table, uh, you had leaders of organizations that lo- literally represent tens of millions of people. Uh, and then there was an additional component to the meeting, and that was uh, 40 of our emerging leaders who are under 40 leaders who are part of our organization had a separate meeting with her at the same time. Mark, what was uh, what was the secretary's response to, to the presentation? What did she say about what you presented? It was candid, it was frank, but I think she demonstrated a great deal of understanding, familiarity, uh, an in-depth, I think, understanding of many of the issues, of uh, the systemic economic issues, criminal justice issues, and issues related to gun violence uh, in communities. So it was frank, it was candid, but candidly, you know, we. Uh, did most of the presenting and most of the talking, Uh, she had an opportunity to dialogue with us. So what we are looking for is candidates who also have a good ear, uh, who won't walk into a conversation believing they've got every answer and every prescription but are open to the kind of role that we want to play. And so we've offered this conversation with every candidate, and we uh, are hopeful that very soon we'll announce a time to meet uh with Bernie Sanders and we've offered the same to all of the Republican candidates as well.
4: Mohiyadin, you have uh you have met with with Bernie Sanders in the past. As you know Eric Garner's daughter, Erica has has endorsed him. I wanna play with what she told my colleague Casey Hunt earlier today and talk to you about it on the other side. Here it is
6: this guy is a protester.
7: So that's what it is for you, that Bernie Sanders is a protester?
6: Yes, and he grew up in the same Brooklyn neighborhood that I'm from. He put his body on a line in Chicago and got arrested when he was about 22 in the 1960s. He marched with Martin Luther King. He um, stood with Jesse Jackson. So basically, he stood with black people when it wasn't popular.
4: Uh, I mean, it almost—it almost sounds uh, sounds like she's saying, Mohideen, that that Bernie Sanders is blacker than Hillary Clinton." I mean, do do, do you think that, that Bernie Sanders has made an honest, real attempt at, at reaching out to black
2: voters?
8: Most definitely. We sat down and we we actually got to discuss and talk about the political revolution having political equity within it. So that's not a top-down political revolution that's just for his campaign, but it's an evolution of the movement. Now, for him, he's not as paternalistic and patronizing as Hillary Clinton is. Patronizing being the the Roman term patron and client kind of relationships, which the National Urban League and NAACP have with Clinton.
4: What makes you say that Hillary Clinton is is, is is paternalistic?
8: In the way that she addresses the movement, she wants to tell the movement what to do and how to do. I remember Martin Luther King's quote that some white moderates prefer, prefer order rather than the positive presence of justice. And to her... We are not representing a way forward. Our agenda is not good enough. And so she skips over us and goes to the establishment, which is the NAACP, the urban leagues, which allowed mass incarceration to happen on their watch. They do not speak for black America. There is a youth. Movement, we are in the streets, we are not apathetic, and we will vote, but we are not being heard, and she is not willing and interested in speaking to our agenda of eliminating the the, the exemption clause in the Thirteenth Amendment and finally making slavery illegal and a pushing forward campaign zero and being able to put a system of accountability in that will keep tabs on the way white supremacy manifests economically, educationally, politically, and socially as it reproduces itself over and over again I am the son of somebody who benefited from affirmative action we have people that are, are, are benefiting from are not benefiting from mass incarceration that's a huge chasm a huge class uh, schism you know, within the black community yeah. that is not spoken yeah. about Look,
5: I'm gonna reject the idea of division dividing the black community between various ages because today uh, we had 30 people under the age of 40, and the National Urban League, the NAACP, the National Action Network were protesting uh, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, before this most recent, uh, if you will, set of rage. So what we need to do is be talking about what the community needs and not turn a election contest between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton into some sort of internal battle. Uh, within the community. I'm going to reject that and say the African-American community, like every community, is not monolithic. But what we want to do is have a positive exactly. conversation, not a theoretical conversation, about who can exactly. lead the nation right. and this and who would make we the are best, exactly. uh, if we you will, are, we are general to to election
4: We're going to have to finish this conversation at, at some other point. But again, thank you both for your time. Mark, always good to see you, President you. Clinton. Hey,
2: there you go, Scotty. get it. You don't want to talk much today because you are mad. But we did hear him break ground because you don't hear this conversation nowhere on these mainstream right, media. Right, right. brought it up. Right. And immediately they attacked him because of that. They were there to sell him Clinton using a mainstream news media to do it. That's what they were there right. to do. And they wanted him to co-sign for Clinton. And instead he said, hell no. You, they done sold out to you. To the NAACP, and they use you for whatever they want to use you for, and you sellouts come on TV talking about, hey, vote for Clinton. Meanwhile, they're talking about taking the exception clause out of the 13th Amendment, but Clinton wasn't listening to that. Nobody now, was listening now, see, to that.
0: Now, see, Max, that right there, you know, I would comment on that. Out of all the things that Mark Morial, who has been running the Urban League for how long, and what has the Urban League done in these communities?
2: was that the urban league leader? I was Mark uh, Morial. Okay, okay. Have they
0: stopped uh, gentrification? Have have they did ur- any brought about any kind of urban renewal? I mean, he's been leading the urban league for decades now. You know, and it I don't think I, I don't think uh brother DeBaja was even talking about a age difference. He was just talking he was no. just speaking to a new movement a new movement that is not part of the establishment like the NAACP. And, and, and you know, this isn't a slam against the NAACP's history because they have done great work in the past. But we ain't talking about 100 years ago. We talking about what have you done for us lately? What are you doing? I just saw on Twitter the other day, oh, NAACP bringing Bill Clinton in to speak. For what? For what? NAACP, and we had enough of the Clintons, they're the reason why so many people was locked up right now. But but out of all the things that he could have asked Brother DeBaja, he chose to focus on talking about this age division. Dude, what about he just talked about the 13th Amendment, legalized slavery, and Hillary Clinton didn't want to address it. You just didn't even want to address that. That's the
2: big elephant in the room That these people don't want to address And as he pointed out There is a movement That knows this is slavery And is fighting against it as slavery Not trying to reform it Trying to abolish it Because we need to abolish this crime Against humanity And it was one point in the conversation Where I wanted to reach through the video And smack the crap out of the person who said That Bernie is blacker than Clinton I mean, how could you even that. say and she that? How could it come out your mouth? She, Neither one yeah. of them are black. Hillary Clinton is the mother of mass incarceration. How the hell do you think she's black? Yeah, that is you know? not what Erica Gardner said. She
0: said all she did was tick right. off his experience, Bernie Sanders' experience in movement work. On behalf of Black people. That's all she said. She didn't. She didn't grant him a Black card or anything like that. She said that only issues that matter most to Black people over this time period. Okay, when when Hillary Clinton was out there as a Barry Goldwater girl, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders was getting locked up in Chicago for protesting for. So you know, again. The, the, this is typical of the establishment media. This is typical of the establishment talking heads. Just yeah. mischaracterize what she said and what the Baja said. But Otis wants to chime in. And Otis uh, in the chat agrees that they misrepresented what was being said.
2: Hey, Otis, welcome home, brother. State your comment.
9: Yeah, good evening, gentlemen. Exactly. I. I... When I first heard that thing, I got so upset. I think I ripped it up on Facebook, talking to it. And and not only not only did they rip, misrepresent what he said, they purposely avoided the thirteenth, which was the meat that he brought to the conversation, because they're, they said that he was being divisive. And you're talking about two candidates running from the same party trying to get a nomination. How how is what he's saying? divisive. So they skewed the whole thing, but what really got me is not only did they skew it, the commentator refused to give a final comment or response time to to uh the brother. Pronounce his name again. Debaha. Dibah. Mouyedine, yeah. He normally you let somebody get a rebuttal. They cut him off. They right. refused to give him back the mic. That's the part that really irked me. I think I I tweeted to them over that saying they cut that segment off because he was just too solid with his conversation because they knew he was going to go after Mark Morial. You know, if you follow the abolitionist conversation to its ultimate
2: conclusion, what it means is that at least four global industries will fall to the ground because they are criminal industries and the shareholders and the CEOs and board of directors and people like that will help be held accountable for their crimes against humanity. That's the type of thing that people get murdered over. Man. So yeah, indeed, uh, he did misrepresent it, and uh, he pointed out like Scotty said that there's a chasm in the black community, and uh, Mark apparently tried to make that about age. When he wasn't talking about age, he was talking about the overseers and slaves, because, you know, we have places like Detroit and uh, Baltimore and other urban communities where the majority of the police officers are black and they're still practicing uh, institutional racism on the black community on behalf of their white overseers. And that's divisive, very much so. I mean, you live next to the, the prison guard, the, the police, <laughs> you know, what I mean, the people that work in the prison system one way or another, and they're all part of your community. That is you know,
0: divisive. You know, again, trying to make it about age. Otis, our abolitionist comrade who just chimed in, is in his 60s. Me and Max are in our 50s. And all the young people that we have worked with over the years, you know, that are more than capable, if anything happens to me, or Max, or, or Otis, or, they are more than capable of carrying this movement, this abolitionist movement as far as it needs to go to its conclusion with the abolishment of slavery. So if there's a, a chasm in the black community, it is an ideology. It is not it has nothing to do with age.
2: Right. It's the same thing that divided us in the 1800s You're either pro-slavery or anti-slavery Or if you're in the middle Which a lot of people were That's pro-slavery, don't get it twisted If you choose not to be in it Then you are assisting the slavers That's an issue that I've been having With people a lot lately I mean, it's an argument that we've had For years and years and years With other groups and organizations Who, you know uh, talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, and they avoid this conversation on purpose. One of the few people who have ever really said something and taken their position within mainstream media to put this message out was uh, Sean King, for instance. Right, Scotty? Sean King was probably one of the first that I've seen when he published in the New York Times a complete argue- article about how slavery never ended because of the 13th Amendment. Nobody was really talking about it. This was before 13th came out the documentary. Uh, before many of the things that you've seen now, it was Sean King. We were Winning talking about it, Correction. yeah, Correction. it was us, <laughs> it we was us, and we were pushing it. him. As a matter of fact, uh, brother Otis got uh blocked by Sean King for pushing so hard. And as you know, uh, one of the young people you were talking about, Hana, uh, sister Hana X, Hana X had a confrontation with him, uh, as well as Nina Turner about the issue, and he graciously tried to help and explain and, and put it out there. So he was one of the first people. And I've had issues with Sean because he's not consistent. You know what I mean? Once you're an abolitionist, it's part of who you are. It's part of your understanding. When you deal with an issue, particularly in criminal justice, you don't revert back to what you thought you knew before. You look at it in the perspective of an abolitionist, that this is slavery and these are the results of slavery. This is how it's forming out. So he's not consistent in that manner. But not a lot of people are. (laughs) As a matter of fact, some of them not only are not consistent, but the opposite. They use uh, this issue of slavery and human trafficking in order to generate ratings, but one episode later, they've totally forgot what they just talked about the week before. So it's not even a part of their understanding anymore. It's just like a little note they pasted somewhere and then left. So right now, there's an attack from what I can see on Sean King by the Black Agenda Report. Have you heard that, Scotty?
0: Yes, I have, and it's not. Um, I do follow some of the people who work at Black Agenda Report on Twitter, and I saw it on emerge on Twitter before this article of them talking about Sean King being pro-police and pro-intelligence agencies because he's pushing the Russia boogeyman narrative and what have you. But hey, but but I wouldn't go as far as to, to call him. Pro police, pro intelligence agency. I just think he he like many other people got Trump Putin derangement syndrome or, or something. But I, I wouldn't go as far as to call him pro police or anything like that.
2: To the best of my knowledge, Scotty, maybe you know something I don't, or maybe one of our listeners knows or uh, uh something I don't. But to the best of my knowledge, the Black Agenda Report has never done anything as far as addressing the issue of modern-day slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, while Sean King has done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just yeah, makes that's you That's a good point, like, and,
0: in- and you know, I have worked with them in the past, you know, um, Like I said, I follow on Twitter. Some of them follow me on Facebook. I've had interactions with with some of the members over there. So they are well aware of the 13th Amendment because, you know, I'm always talking about it. They are very aware that slavery was never abolished. And I have to say, Max, you are correct. To my knowledge, to my knowledge, I cannot recall a podcast, an article, or Nothing about on the along the lines of abolishing slavery or pointing out the thirteenth amendment. To my knowledge, I, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, I think you are right.
2: And that's a problem, Scotty, that's a problem. Because you Black Agenda Report knows more about this issue, I suspect, than Sean King. But Sean King has spoke about it. You know, and he's not the only one. There's been a number of activists who stepped out and spoke about it, at least on one occasion or more, and put out videos where they explain the whole convict leasing thing. They've explained the 13th Amendment. There's been a hell, an entire documentary. So it's not like the information is not right there in your face and you don't know it. Hell, you experienced it. How can you not be talking about it? I was c- conversating with some of the readers today about that uh, question. Like, you know, Sean has done this, but like a general Report hasn't. So somebody explained to me what's going on here. And basically they just kind of brushed it off Like, you know, that's common knowledge The 13th Amendment is common knowledge If it's common knowledge, it ain't common from you Because you ain't talking about
0: it No, it's not common (laughs) knowledge It's not, it really isn't
2: It's not, it's not It's groundbreaking, it's revolutionary It could literally be the Catalyst for a revolution This is something that could change Everything as we know it from here on I mean, that's the type of power That this of abolishing slavery through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution can have, not only in this nation, but on a global level where people are waiting for us to do something right here so they can follow suit. Well, I'm ranting there a little bit, but... You You know, know, Max, but you know,
0: no, you're not ranting. You're you're speaking the truth. But, you know, if I like I had to turn off a program today because I'm so tired of hearing about this Russian collusion conspiracy theory. Okay. If they had the evidence, lay it out, arrest the man, whatever. I'm just tired of hearing about it 24 seven. And there's a lot of black people who are caught up in, in that Russia. It's like McCarthyism all over again. And, you know, if I would criticize Sean about anything, it would be him helping the Democrats push this garbage to excuse, make up an excuse as to why Hillary Clinton lost. She lost because she was the worst possible candidate to run for the Democratic Party. So polarizing, Miss Super Predator Welfare Queen all of that stuff she has engaged in her campaign against Barack Obama in two thousand and eight was racist and what have you. So Remember when she called for his assassination, yes, yes. So she was the worst possible candidate that they could have run. All the polling data said that she might lose to Donald Trump. Okay. And, and 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 so if I would criticize Sean on anything, it's for continuing to distract us with this Russia conspiracy theory and not keep us focused on the policy. And that number one policy issue we should be focusing on is ending slavery and eliminating all the tentacles that are a part of that. So I mean, yeah, you, you know, nobody's above criticism, including myself you know we're we're all human beings we are flawed but if i, I wouldn't go as far as to say that the man is pro police and and pro intelligence agencies but perhaps he just got caught up too in that in that Russia hysteria hysteria so but uh, again though at least he has talked about the 13th amendment
2: right at least he and he's aware of it. He's even quoted cases that he's monitoring about the thirteenth amendment so he can watch as we do as this fight unfolds on a legal level throughout the courts. Um so he you know, he he's keeping on his toes about it. He's not consistent as I said, but he's aware and he does talk about it when the opportunity is arises, which is a lot more than I can say for other people. But then I Scott Scotty there was something else I mentioned mentioned earlier about another video that I, I had and it's a clip from the Young Turks. And back in 2016, while we were organizing the National Prison Labor S- Slavery Strike, then, 2016 or 17? 16. In any case, while we were doing it that then, the Young Turks picked up the story. And you could hear them talking about the details of this all. And uh, they're explaining that this is slavery and how the conditions work and who's doing it and where all the money. I mean, they said everything that we would say, Scotty. And then promptly, as usual, forgot about it. I mean, it's not part of that conversation anymore. But they proclaim loud and clearly that this was slavery. But if you go and approach them today, I doubt if you get that same answer. And I don't understand that. Actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I do understand. Because I know that there are organizations in media that will exploit our suffering in order to get ratings, in order to seem like one of the people's champions, and then use that uh, attention they get to misdirect them in other Areas. So they will call you in and I'll say, hey, this is slavery and we should all fight it. And then they turn around and tell you about how we can reform this. <laughs> you know, Scotty, you know what I'm talking about. What we're going to do is let's take our break a couple minutes early, which is something that uh, we, ha- we don't do often. And on the other side of the break, let's listen to this clip. And you can give me your comments on it as well as our callers. All right. So you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Right here on the Black Talk Radio Network with Scotty Reed, Max Parthis, our callers and listeners. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
7: The largest prison strike in U.S. history is currently happening, and it's been happening for weeks, even though you might not have heard about it in the mainstream media. Now, during this prison protest, uh, there are a number of different things that the prisoners are demanding. But the one thing that connects all of these protesters is how they feel about prison labor. As a lot of you might already know, prisoners are pretty much forced to work for some of our biggest corporations and they make either no money or they make a couple cents per hour manufacturing certain products. Okay. So the issue that has unified the protesters is of prison labor, a $2 billion a year industry that employs nearly 900,000 prisoners while paying them a few cents an hour in some states and nothing at all in others. Now understand that while they're essentially forced into doing this labor for free, These are also jobs that used to pay Americans decent wages. Mm. And now they're kind of being, you know, funneled into the prison industry because corporations realize that they can take advantage of this labor and not have to worry about paying them. For months, inmates at dozens of prisons across the country have been organizing through a network of smuggled cell phones, social media pages and other supportive allies on the outside. The effort culminated in a mass refusal to report to prison jobs on September 9th, the anniversary of the 1971 Attica prison uprising. So, there are other issues at hand that concern the prisoners. For instance, the overuse of solitary confinement. Um, some of them are engaging in hunger strikes. The tactics uh, used by these protesters differ from one state to another. But um, according to reports, there are prisoners in 24 states and uh, 40 to 50 prisoners pledged to join the strike and at least 11 states and 20 prisons continue to protest. So this. Continues to grow, but it's not getting any media coverage whatsoever.
10: So this is an amazing story, and thank God uh, the intercepts around uh, to cover it because the rest of the mainstream media totally stonewalled on this. Now, partly for understandable reasons, because the uh, prisons are clamping down and they're putting the so-called ringleaders. They took 150 of the ringleaders and put them in isolation, solitary confinement, uh, restricted their access to communication. Uh, some of these prisons get were locked down, and when the press ask why they're locked down they won't give an answer yep. it's because there's this massive strike going on that they don't want people to know about but now we do know about it and we're too busy covering trumps empty podium to worry about something like this which is so monumentally important mm-hmm. so you know it's a combination of it's gotten worse and I didn't know how bad it was so I think that like when I was growing up, I took the war on drugs as a given. I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad and I've been told my whole life by my parents, by TV, by everyone in authority, drugs are including pot are irrevocably irredeemably bad and and so of course there should be a war on drugs. So only later as an adult you get the facts and you begin to realize that's not true. Same thing with the prison labor. I realized I'd always thought, like, well, of course, prisoners are going to work for pennies on the dollar, like, literally for mm-hmm. a couple of cents an hour. And I was as I'm like, wait, why? No, no, these guys were absolutely right. That is slavery. Mm-hmm. That's slavery. Because it's one thing when they were doing it in the old days, and they were a chain gang, and that was terrible on its own, right, and they're breaking rocks and presumably working for the state, and you say, okay, part of your punishment is... You know, you're work doing these jobs for the government because the government is imprisoning you, and that's all of us together. It's another thing when you're doing it for private corporations.
9: Then there's no excuse. No, that, it, that's sla- that's the definition of slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, do, we feel, do we all feel, or how, I don't know how to phrase it that way, how do we feel about it if the work is done for the state, if it's road I, improvement, if it's...
10: Yeah, I think that's a little different because yeah, I, agree. I mean, in other uh, instances, community service. A lot of people do community service, and that's kind of for the government. That's kind of for all of us. No and profit for, motive involved. Yeah, no profit. But motive when involved. you attach a profit motive to it, and Anna's right, it also kills jobs for everybody else. Because yeah. Why the hell would they that's hire right. you at fifteen dollars an hour if they can pay this guy twenty cents an hour? And Great.
7: remember, we we imprison more people than any other country in the world right and so we have a gigantic prison population many of which are people who are in there for nonviolent offenses like drug possession and so it's it's this big you know industrial complex that we talk about a lot right we have this industrial complex where people make money off of imprisoning people and then corporations make money off of this these imprisoned people doing slave labor you know and then Americans get impacted because they lose jobs as well so it If you think this doesn't impact you at all because hey, these are prisoners, and they should be treated like shit, and i don 't care, just know it does impact you. It has an impact on the American economy
10: there's two point four million Americans in prison uh, it's not a coincidence that we imprison so many more people over the last several decades because there's one other twist to the story that nobody talks about, which is that well we've now allow basically uh legalized bribery, so the corporation that runs the prisons plus the corporation that uses the prisoners for almost free labor both give money to the politicians to not only maintain the system but to increase the number of prisoners so then you or your neighbors well there's a profit in imprisoning you and you don't have a lot of power so off you go to prison and so now some are beginning to pay a little bit of attention that we're imprisoning too many people for the war on drugs because it's affecting white people more so the opioid ad- addiction hitting Kentucky and New Hampshire and those places, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you have Republican legislators going, "Hmm, now you're arresting my nephew and my cousin, so mm, I don't know that this is a good idea." So that's good, but they have not gotten to this issue. I mean, there's ended just 20,000 people on strike throughout at least 11 prisons uh... in. in I'm sorry. At least 20 prisons in 11 different states, mm-hmm. yet almost not a peep out of
9: anyone on this. Yeah, Let's uh, right, just yeah. be- to give some aside from the hard numbers, which are like again more than 2.2 million, maybe as much as 2.4. We imprison s- about s- little less than 700 prisoners for every 100,000 people. 693. China, China, imprisoned. They cut people's hands off if they try to steal a handbag, right? Mm-hmm. They imprison 118. Uh, The UK, our greatest allies, they're below 150. We're five, nearly five times as many per 100,000 people as the United Kingdom. Well, you know, I was almost going to say this as a joke, but they don't have as many black people in England, right? And we have a racist uh, criminal justice system here. Uh,
2: The Young Turks: A clip from 2016 regarding the 2016 prison slave. Labor work strike, <clears throat> and the speakers were Jimmy Dore before he branched off from the Young Turks and formed his own media, and also sank Unger, the founder of the Young Turks, and Anna Kasparian, uh speaking about this being without a doubt in their minds, as he said, no coincidence, modern day slavery. They said it without any any static or stuttering. This is slavery, and described it in a way that would rival what you. You and I would do Scotty. That uh you know, Brother mm, would do uh, I, I, I that hunter would do, you know?
0: I, I don't know. Um uh, Mr. Unger seems to think that convict leasing, hey, was nothing wrong with convict leasing. They doing work for the state and all this and that. Well, you're missing the point. The point is is that slavery in all its forms. Should be abolished. That's what international law calls for. That's what the UN Declaration of Human Rights calls for the abolishment of slavery, period. I was just speaking to a local abolitionist. I think she, I might have recruited her. She was fighting the system on behalf of her husband i don't want to give out too much information right now because she fears for his safety he was in a local jail and he's supposed to be transferred to federal custody and she wants me to hold off but as i was talk talking to her about the constitution of north carolina abolishing slavery but the loophole is in the second paragraph that said that okays and voluntary servitude but I said it's still slavery if they're not being paid at least the federal minimum wage and also uh, afforded all of the protections of that uh, workers get in the United States. You know, Tag, our young abolitionist brother up there in New York, he has a podcast on Black Talk Radio Network called Pre-Intercoms, and he did an interview with someone on the inside, on, on a prison plantation in New York, and he uh, and they were talking about you know, in this wood shop, that uh, uh, some kind of wood. I think they made furniture or something. About guys losing fingers, hands being mangled up, and and stuff like that. So, 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 Mr. Unger ne- still needs to educate himself on the convict leasing system. And it's not okay to just treat these people as free labor and what have you. And it is a profit motive. Uh, for the state in just the fact. I I mean, we've shared pictures of of jail vans out there, I guess, taking prisoners out there to do road work, saying that, hey, this is saving tax dollars. You know what I'm saying? So again, all of this is incentive to lock people up. So, you know, I, I appreciate them covering it. But there's a prison strike going on right now. Uh, another one. Let's see if they cover this one because it's not getting any coverage except for, it's, you know, through the right. abolitionist channels.
2: But yeah, you're right, Scotty. It's not getting any coverage. And Anna Kasparian was in there talking. She was berating the other news media for not giving it any coverage, but they're not doing it either. And as I said, I suspect that they're just using our suffering in order to get ratings. Like, how can you talk in detail about this being slavery on Tuesday, and then Wednesday you're right back to reform? How does that work? I don't understand it. Somebody explain it to me. I need a caller to call in and explain to to Max Barthas how you can go from explaining in detail that this is modern slavery on one day, and then on the next day, have a completely different perspective that you're offering your audience.
0: Well, we do have a caller. I don't know if they can answer the question, but. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Please and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Please and welcome. Oh, uh, hi. Your name? Oh, my name is Kia. How are you? Hey, Kia. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Yeah, thanks.
6: I'm the one that sent the email about the banks and stuff. We can read like last week or two weeks ago.
2: Oh, okay, okay, great. I remember, yes, we talked about it last week,
6: right? Again, again. I, was, I was a little out of it last week. But yeah, I know it I sent
0: the email. Week. Yes, I, <laughs> I did I receive can... the email and I did share the information to tell people that even when you're financing home improvements, you need to check out. What bank might be involved in that finance? Uh, because again, the banks are heavily involved in investing in modern day slavery. So I did share that information and thank you for sharing that with me, Kia. Okay.
6: Uh, I'm glad I waited, I guess, to this week to talk about this because um, I went to City Hall. Well, my City Hall, I live in Macon. So I went to my City Hall because I went to talk about a different issue the library. But when you go, they give you the agenda, the minutes they talk about what happened, what the, what the commissions and stuff have been doing. So they had a list of the things that they did, and on there was, I'm going to read it to you because oh, it looks like it's two of them. I'll just read one because we don't have all that. This was decided. This was old business. It was already decided. I guess they voted on it. So a resolution to authorize the mayor to execute a work detail agreement with the Georgia Department of Corrections for three offender work details from Duly State Prison, I guess there's some prison here, at a cost of $118,500 payable out of the Public Works Department budget. So this clearly states that they have gone to the state to lease out some people for it says three the work details. I'm assuming that's people.
0: sound like convict leasing to me, Kia, because I'm sure those prisoners ain't being paid the federal minimum wage,
6: yeah. Because so it says that when it says $118,500, I was like, I know they're not going to pay the people that, so I was just saying, bringing that to the people's attention to go to your city halls and things like that. Because I didn't know this was going on, and you know, to see what your City is doing. I know the new, in my little area, the new commissioner, she's brand new. So I don't even know if she was there enough to get involved in this. But I'm going to ask her, you know, about slavery, this and the other, to see where, you know, these people stand. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's a great idea, Kim, because even though they may have voted, if it hasn't been implemented, implemented, it can be voted on again, and the deal can be killed. Because I'm sure y'all got some unemployed people there, right, that, that need some work, right? I'm sure y'all do, you know, uh, especially in the black community. The
6: public works in the parks. That was my one of my first jobs. Well, I'm from New York. That was one of my first jobs, summer jobs, cleaning up the park. I mean, of course, they didn't pay me a lot, but they paid me minimum wage. I mean, I was a kid, but, you know, <laughs> I got whatever minimum wage was 20 years ago, whatever. I got that. And, you know, you you learn about the community, clean up the community. You use the park monster, clean up the park. I didn't think that at the time, you know. I was like, uh. But, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but I was, like, I was like, real people could do this job. And they had another one, some other work detail for seven people to do out of the apartment budget. And I should have asked what department that was because it doesn't say.
0: Like, but
6: they'll have one beating. So I guess I asked
0: again. Now, so they
6: had two resolutions to hire convicts.
0: Now, let me make this group. clear, and I made it clear in the past. I am not against prisoners working. What I'm against is slavery. Because these prisoners, many of them still have children at home, or they may have elderly parent parents who are barely making it and what have you. And then it's not like they issue... Stuff to you in prison for free. You gotta pay for it, okay? And and so I am not against prisoners working. I'm against of uh, their labor being exploited. And if they are going to work, they need to be paid the federal minimum wage. So I just want to make.
6: Well, that clear. I just I'm just pretty sure these, like I said, for the three offenders, that's 118,000. Well, that's almost forty thousand. They're not going to give those.
0: Um, no, they're not. 40, that's not
6: dollars a year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what, what why why would you be paying the state anyway? What well, is the state.
6: So, yeah, so? These are things to ask about. Like I said, I don't know yeah. the details, but this is there. You know, and this is this is public information. Not only did they give us the minutes, but this is because I don't know where the paper is. This is on a website. You can go to Bibb County. Anybody in the world could look up and see what they did. And I'm sure other cities and other counties may be the same. And so if if this is going on, we should ask, you know, well, what exactly what is the breakdown of that amount, how much is going to the offenders, because that sounds like slavery wages, blah, 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 things right, like that Right,
0: right, you know, just
6: things we can ask when we go, if we have somebody that can go to these meetings, this one is in the evening, so I can go I know people work various times and things like that, but you know, maybe you can find someone in your community to represent your little area and go and talk about these things
0: Thank you, Kia. Thank you. Grace suggests.
2: I just want to bring
6: attention that these, these things, I mean, you, like you said, you don't think about it, but since I've been listening to the show and things, you think more about it. And when you see it, it's like, oh. And that's why, I, and I know you all do a lot of strategizing. So I said, let me go to them first before I just start going in and acting crazy. Then that ruins the whole thing. You want to be strategic and tactful and thoughtful about these things.
0: Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Kia.
2: You're welcome. And you could see that in every city USA. I remember when we did the uh, Ferguson is America series and we had to investigate state by state often some of the particular cities. Like I did two cities in particular. Uh, One was Baltimore and the other was Chicago. Uh, Everything else was just the states. And I did them because of how bad they were. Uh, Not only in the employment of the prisoners but using the jails and prisons themselves as the almost complete funding for the entire city's budget.
0: Well, Max, we do have another caller uh, out of the, looks like NYC area, area code 646. You're on New Abolitionist Radio with myself and Max. Uh, Give us your name. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you for joining us this evening.
11: Thank you and uh, peace, Brother Max, peace, Brother Scotty, and to all the abolitionists Yeah, and, uh, and much appreciated from uh, Sister Kia with with the information that you just brought. It's uh, you know very consistent um, the the information that you bring, and it's often you know very uh, timely and also you know uh, not from the the usual sources. So I I really appreciate that uh, Sister Kia. I, I wanted to respond um in, initially and, and mainly just to the you know clips that were played and to the discussion it, it, it really caught me um off guard so to speak to hear about uh this new information uh around um brother Debaha uh rest in power and i did did y'all happen to see you know it was after y'all started so probably not but did y'all happen to see the um Another article that uh was placed into the thread for uh tonight's uh broadcast around um the killing
0: no, I haven't seen it Tad. i've
11: seen
2: I've seen a couple of articles, but I may not have seen the one you're referencing
11: so there's one from the dot com it's from uh last I checked it was maybe uh five or six hours ago but uh the, the most relevant portion of uh, which I made sure to paste into the community um, you know on that same thread is that they're talking about this uh, law enforcement source familiar with the case who claim that uh, that this individual who they're alleging as the killer uh, mistook Brother de Baja for someone else. I I don't know if if y'all had seen that, but that was the only article that... No, that's the first I'm uh, hearing of it, Tag. I looked at several. Oh, pardon, I didn't hear that.
0: I'm saying that's the first I'm hearing of it. You said that this individual, uh, it was a case of mistaken identity, is what the source is saying.
11: Exactly. This source is saying that that, that these slave patrollers uh, have captured some anonymous uh, source who knew the alleged killer and um, I'll read the direct quote it says, uh, New Orleans police believe a Black Lives Matter activist from South Carolina was killed early this year in mid-city by a man who mistook him for someone else a law enforcement source familiar with the case said Wednesday and uh, you know I, there there's some more to the quote it talks about camera footage that captured a white sports utility vehicle fleeing the scene. Uh, You know, so that seemed relevant. I hadn't seen that in any of the other articles, and I just wanted to make sure to share that, uh, especially given the, the conversation around, you know, foul play, which is, of course, to be explored in this kind of instance, given the longstanding and originary history of these, uh, law enforcement agencies as regards our communities especially and and this kind of foul play uh, around heads who are vocal heads who are active heads who are effective so you know it, it's I, I I hear totally uh both of what y'all are saying as regards that being you know the first thought that came to my mind when I first heard uh this tragic news that you know there was some sort of Government complicity involved, and then at the same time, what you're saying, brother, brother Scotty, uh, around you know the very prevalent problem of you know these these kind of uh, Trojan horse stories or these you know uh, kind of uh, far-fetched stories that circulate among our community, and 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 it's been documented for a while. There, there's a book called uh, Racial Paranoia that. Uh, document some of these problems, and 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 there are problems with that text as well. But all of which is just to say, or at least from my opinion, you know, I I don't know that that all of those um, are are questions of paranoia. But you know, it, which is all just to say, questions of paranoia are are certainly very purposefully, uh, you know, embedded in our communities, you know, and are are provoked constantly. So. Uh, I, I totally feel where you're coming from on that, but Scottie, and at the same time, you know, this is extremely uh, suspicious as, as as all of us who, you know, have any familiarity with this case or with this brother, you know, and, and myself having only vague and, and you know, at, at best secondary knowledge of, of him and his work. But it's clear that he was doing that direct work that brings that kind of attention to Individuals, and so there's there's no way that we can rule this kind of thing out, and and so I would just say they're talking about all of this surveillance footage that uh, captured his uh, murder, his you know assassination, uh, depending on who actually enacted this, and you know I just would like to see or would like to know that the family got access to this footage because that seems crucial and if there's all of these shots of what went on uh, I don't see them being publicly displayed so ideally the family has access to that information Yeah Tag
2: there seems to be a couple of different stories going on and first and foremost what they have is the suspect and the stories that I've read <clears throat> um, just the one we read tonight as a matter of fact they said that the tip said the person had a 9 millimeter gun that he had that night. They didn't say that he killed him. Apparently he had a gun that night. So we're not even sure. What we have to do in this case I, I think is really wait and see now uh, until right, right. Cause everybody's innocent until proven guilty. You know yeah, what I mean? It, it would so just make me, so, so,
0: it make me so so. It me sad. Uh-huh. It make me so sad if it turns out That this is the case of, okay, a black person got a beef with another black person, so I'm going to kill you. It would be very, very, very sad if he lost his life because of that. Because as demonstrated in that clip, he would have been, he was advocating for the person who killed him, basically. You know, advocating and pointing out how the system sets up these circumstances and what have you. But, you know, it, it will just be really, really, really sad. But we lost a great voice. We lost someone who was dedicated, someone who was committed, and who was not likely to get bought out and paid for because there's a lot of people, and, and we don't talk about this a lot, but there are some who claim to be part of the abolitionist movement who are adopting uh, uh, other other agendas because there's grant money out there for that, and and brother Dubaja was was no sellout from what I could tell.
2: No, he wasn't, and I don't want to. You know, if I'm giving the family some kind of false ideas or anything like that, I apologize. to my i just been doing this for nearly three decades. You know what I mean? And I faced a lot of opposition in every form you can imagine. And our family has suffered great deals. So I can understand when somebody who has a voice so powerful that can uh, make a difference in bringing the people together of all colors and all races, I know what happens to people like that all the time. It always seems to happen to them, you know? And more often than not, uh, and uncomfortably so, it's usually people who look just like them. I just find, you know, until they find me a person that they've proven guilty, I'm going to hold on to them.
0: Well, we got about right. five well, minutes man. to the break. Did you want to try to cover another story? How long is this video? Uh
2: That is only two minutes. Uh It was something in regards to what we were just talking about earlier with the prison labor. Well, one of these gentlemen who worked for Habitats for Humanity in prison Explains his experience once he got out of prison. It's very short. It's about two minutes long. Okay. Well, so before sure, I do that before, that,
0: before I do that, <coughs> let me just make sure Tag was uh, uh, finished with his comments. Uh, Tag, were you done?
11: Definitely for for now. And, and uh, great broadcast. Uh, there's, it, there's a number of things that I'd like to. Try and address if possible if there's time, and if not, you know, we okay. Well, by things. all means, y-
0: y'all know we have an open door policy, y'all can chime back in. Um, uh, just be cognizant of the time, but I do want to take this opportunity to uh promote Tag's podcast, which can be found on blacktalkradionetwork.com. It is under the title Pre Intercoms, and and I think he's doing great work, you know, in, in uh learning this new media technology and getting this information and conducting these interviews uh, with people on the outside and the inside. So much appreciative of the work tag. Uh, let's go ahead and queue up this video. Um, let's see. All right, here it goes. Habitat
1: for Humanity. They use prisoners to, for cheap labor. We was the ones cutting down on trees. We was the ones staining that wood. We was the ones making $1.20 a day, risking our lives out there with these dangerous tools. We didn't get no training. So when I came home and I got into the, into the college scene, and who do I see? Habitat for Humanity right there. And I say, hey, I need a job. I want to work for you guys. I filled out the application. It was two ladies They gave me a beautiful interview. It was very nice. At the end of the interview, they told me, we can't hire you because you're a felon. Well, I'd be goddamn. I used to work in the penitentiary for you, but now that I'm out here and I'm trying to do the same work that I was doing in the penitentiary, you can't hire me? Man, this felony stigma is real, man. If y'all ain't about that life, don't get no felony.
0: Man. Max.
2: Habitat for humanity. Habitat for humanity. They'll take your labor as long as it's free. (laughs) Yeah. It,
0: isn't that the organization founded by former President Jimmy Carter, who everybody likes to say was one of the least corrupt presidents? CEOs of USA Inc., even though he was involved in some dirt uh, in foreign policy, but um, and and did nothing, nothing to to uh, you know stop uh, Nixon's war on drugs, in which he initiated. But uh, Max, did you have some comments on that? That's news to me, and but that's typical. And we said it many times before. Oh, they good enough to work for you for free when they on the prison plantation, but once they get out, then what? So don't give me this garbage about you creating a, who is it, Jared Kushner? Oh, we, we and, and Van Jones and them. Oh, this is job skills training. For these prisoners so they can find work When they get out and have some skills Yeah right
2: Max No I don't have much to add to it It actually was a uh, An addition to the conversation as I said Earlier these brothers know exactly what's going on Out here they'll want like you said they want Their labor as long as it's free And it's not ever really Free because the people that Labor through the prisons Are actually paying A minimum wage, sometimes even more. It just never makes it to the prisoners themselves. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, and we are talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back with some information about Asheville, North Carolina, after these messages. Um,
0: Max, before we take the break, I want to acknowledge the two callers. (laughs) We got two callers and I'm going to mute you, Max, and unmute you. Okay. Cause your audio's starting to chop up just a little bit. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll take care of these things after the break. I'm not a writer. Okay. Give up Talk Radio since 2008 providing new black media for the masses.
2: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Before we get into our uh, final stories regarding Asheville, North Carolina, let's go ahead and take our uh, call, Scotty.
0: Okay, we'll go first with Area Code 262. Looks like out of the Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin, Area Code 262. You're on New Abolitionist Radio with myself and Max. Give us your name. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you for joining us tonight.
12: Uh, Yeah, greetings. This is Rob in Milwaukee. How y'all doing tonight?
0: Greetings, Rob. Peace,
12: Rob. Welcome home, brother. Um, so that uh, <clears throat> clip about the guy in uh, prison um working for the company he worked for a company in prison and then when he got out um he Habitat for Humanity
0: Rob Habitat for Habitat. Humanity which is a, supposed to be a nonprofit that builds homes for the homeless
12: Yeah um that uh clip uh really touched home I actually experienced um that same exact thing um and uh actually were the books, but um, I was working at the center and um, I'm talking about I'm working like I was in a, um, a pre-release center um, so <clears throat> I, I was putting in a lot of overtime hours so I wouldn't be in the center. I'm working 12, 13 hour days and then uh, upon my release um, not only did they not hire me, but um, this guy who Um, I can properly analyze now. I'm more than sure he had a cocaine habit. Um, But when I came back to fill out the application, um, I had a girl that was working there, actually. Um, And that's how I got the job. And so um, I came and um, went through the little interview. I could tell in the interview that he wasn't going to hire me. But he was talking shit, though. You know what I'm saying? The girl come home and she tell me, she was like, uh, you came on the interview today? I'm like, yeah. She was like, uh, I thought they was talking about you. Because he going to say, yeah, um, the cocaine guy is outside. You know what I'm saying? He wants to come and, you know, get an interview. So they was um, on the backside. They're going to work the hell out of me and then clown me. But not only clown me, man, he would have probably let me conduct the transaction with him on the street, sell them some cocaine, and then on the back end of that, come in and clown me in front of the working professionals. Um, And I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, Tommy Thompson, former governor, and he went to do the same job that what Ben Carson is doing now um, during the, uh, I want to say the Bush or Clinton administration. And they said when Tommy Thompson was running this joint, man, they said, well, hell, you might as well just put a fence and or a gate around the whole state of Wisconsin because that's all they're doing over there. All right, thank you for taking the call.
2: Peace, brother. Thanks for um, the comments, indeed, and for confirming it even more. Uh, we know how they work. I mean, it ain't got nothing to do with crime and punishment. Nothing to do with crime and punishment. It's about slavery, exploiting labor. What
0: is mean, as as that? Yeah, um, caller. <laughs> We got two more callers, Max. I want to try to get through them quickly. Um, area code 813 was next. up on the board, 646. I'll come to you after 813. 813, thank you for calling in the new Abolitionist Radio. You're on air with myself and Max. Give us your name and go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you for joining us.
13: Yes, my name is Beulah, and um, thank you all for having me, you know, as part of the commentary on the show. And in relation to the mass incarceration and
0: uh, that we, is I, a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me interrupt you that
13: just is a second. Subculture here in the United States, this is the way they have it and the way they want to keep it because, of course, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. As long as you have a subculture that does the work for minimum wage, less than minimum wage, or no wage at all. They continue to get richer, so the system is basically predicating off of a subculture that they have established. And there's a whole um, web of um, things that the government uh, and private individuals, you know, they collaborate together to keep this subculture thing going. So, yeah, when ex-offenders exit, you know, the prison gates, uh, there's not much. They say they're going to rehabilitate you, put you into these... um, uh, the gentleman said, he was in some kind of a house or something where he had to go. He was he in a pre-release and program so forth and didn't get the job. And also the housing issue too. Uh, many of these uh, developers and the people who own homes and houses, they don't really cater to ex-offenders. There has to be some special group organization in the subculture that caters to the subculture. But the ones above ground, the sort you know people who are manipulating the system. They don't make any provisions whatsoever for housing. For There's nothing in the Fair Housing Act, they say, to cover ex-offenders. If you're not disabled or um, some other categories they have there, but nothing. Ex-offenders are not part of the Fair Housing, the fair housing you, you Law. You are correct. They're not covered. They're not covered. So basically you're out there and whoever wills can give you a home or a place to stay or whoever can can deny you a place to stay. So, in essence, what they're doing, they're denying you the fundamental rights that you're supposed to receive. What you walk call a prison, but once you have a label, ex-offender, it's like you you remain an ex-offender for the rest of your life. You carry that label for the rest of your life.
2: The and 14th Amendment no get... longer applies, right? Pardon me. The 14th Amendment, which was, uh, as I said, uh, the anniversary of, is around this time, no longer applies to you because. You're not a slave recently freed. You're an ex-offender, and you no longer have your rights. You can't even freaking vote, which is one of the right. most basic rights that anyone possesses. Yes. and So they're um, basically
13: d- just saying stay in your ex-offender state and stay in your second-class status state because that's what we want you, and that's how we continue, you know, popping off the system off your...
0: I, I have a question. I have a question for you. Um, well, let me make this comment first. We call it slavery because that's what the 13th Amendment calls it. We know the mainstream media has popularized the phrase mass incarceration, but the majority of American citizens are not in prison, Mm -hmm. even though they have the world's largest prison population. The majority of us are not in prison. So we think it's more accurate to call it what the 13th Amendment calls it, which is slavery. And, That brings me to my question about I'm kind of confused as to why you call it a subculture when this nation was founded on slavery and some other things like genocide, land theft and all of that. But slavery has always been a main pillar of their economy. So I would not I wouldn't I don't think it's accurate to say it's a subculture. It's been part of their culture Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Well,
13: the reason I call it subculture because it's not the mainstream. Okay, the mainstream is where you know middle class, upper middle class, rich, and so forth and so on, and they're the ones who are really making it in this country who have the government, you know, to do whatever it is to maintain them. Okay. But underneath that mainstream, you have groups of people who, for whatever reason, deny a lot of the benefits Slavery of the, main is the reason.
0: <laughs> slavery is oh, the slavery, reason. Slavery
13: subculture, yeah.
0: Yeah, slavery is the reason. I understand since you gave us more context. I now understand what you meant by that. But thank you. Okay. Did, did you All right. Did you have anything else before we go to the next caller?
13: I just don't know what we uh I I know what we can do, but it's a uphill battle to change that amendment about 13th what is it, the 14th amendment or is 13th that, that you uh, are have been a been accused of a crime and you know put in prison, you can be into servitude or slavery. It takes so many states to amend that, I believe.
0: Right,
2: so that's, that's already in process. Like, yes, it's, it's actually only process. about oh. two states away right now. Uh, two more states oh, really? to ratify and there will be an Article 5 Constitution uh, of, of States. A convention of States. Article 5 Convention of States. You can find Great. information on Wonderful. it at conventionofstates.com. Yes, it sounds great and wonderful, except the people who are leading it and controlling it are primarily Republicans, right-wings, and many people who are basically racist. There is no minority voice within this movement, meaning that these right-wingers are about to open up the Constitution for interpretation without any voices in opposition.
0: All right. Well, okay. well, thank you for for your call. Right. As we're about to run when out of time, we got another caller, but please feel let free. Let me just
2: let me just give it on a high note, though, Scotty, so she knows that we are working with uh, several candidates and uh, acting uh, people who are in position right now in politics to get involved in this and have that voice and that uh, issue of the 13th right. Amendment. Right, and, and Max, Recognized. don't forget to mention... Because we're the ones
13: who are suffering behind us. It doesn't, we should have a voice. Right.
2: Yeah, and Max, don't okay.
0: forget to mention the uh, possible congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment and near victories in the past because the states have their own constitutions and Colorado was one state where... Um, their constitution mirrors the 13th amendment and they permit permit slavery uh, as punishment for crime. And they almost got that removed. The um, it took a a big effort and a lot of money from the private prison industry and and those who profit from slavery in that state. Uh, It took a great effort for them to get that uh, ballot initiative. Um, It was called amendment T um, defeated, but it almost passed. So You know, um, Mm. you are right. There are challenges, but, you know, the the old saying goes, you know, um, anything worth having, you're going to have to fight for it. It's not just going to be handed to you. So you are right. It is an uphill battle, but it's one worth fighting. But thank you for your comments. Okay.
13: Thank
0: you. All right. uh, Last caller. We're going to have to make this the last caller area code 646. This might be tagged again, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment, TAG.
11: Yes, peace, everyone. This, this is how again. I, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm going to keep it as concise as possible. I wanted to, um, it was mentioned real real quick, uh, this, this question of Amendment T, and um, so just, you know, from last I heard about that, it sounds as though there are uh, renewed efforts to get that back uh, on the ballot and to to get that back in place. You know, so uh, nothing um, totally fully, uh, you know, concrete yet as far as reports on that. But but, but that's what I've heard. So that, so that's encouraging. Um, also, I, I did want to uh, raise uh, a couple names real quick of heads slain by these. Patrollers that um, are that seem to be their their stories are being uh, buried underneath uh, all that goes on out here in 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 the um, reportage and whatnot. Um, namely, one uh, Greg Gunn, who um, was out of Alabama, and uh, apparently, and I just looked this up during the broadcast because I hadn't checked in on on uh, his case in in a second, but uh that goes all the way back to twenty sixteen in February and this uh slave patroller Aaron Smith uh murdered him um you know from from all accounts uh for for being around his own home late at night uh and for 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 holding a um what seems to be like a two by four or some sort of um you know thing like that. Uh, was murdered behind that, and so they're apparently now having so-called immunity hearings behind that. So uh, very concerned that they might try and completely bury that case and um, provide immunity to the uh, murderous slave patroller Aaron Smith um, out in Alabama. And also, I I, I found myself going back through the archives of New Abolitionist Radio just uh, earlier today and um, was just it just so happened that it was the uh, broadcast during which Jordan Edwards' murder the 15 year old young brother murdered uh, by um, rifle fire out in Texas Balch County, Texas and so it just so happened that it was that broadcast that I was looking over um, and it seems as though that, too, is being uh, delayed you know, um, to, to no end, and uh, seemingly such that uh, those, the general public who was so outraged by that blatant, totally um, inexcusable murder of this young brother who did nothing... They, you know, last I checked, last I seen in any reporting, they were still going through jury selection, et cetera. And uh, so I I just wanted to raise those two names because it seems as though uh, part of their overall pattern and practice is to uh, allow these occurrences to happen and then just um, extend their uh, half lives indefinitely such that uh, we who are attempting to follow these cases and who care deeply about them, uh, can't keep track of them and uh can't can't remain focused on, on on their um issues and their plight. And on that, you know, it relates to the Sean King question which was raised because um during that broadcast it was Sean King's article around Jordan Edwards that was highlighted and it was Uh, very, you know, well uh, put together on Sean King's part, and y'all mentioned his um, often raising of the question of the 13th Amendment, et cetera. uh, But just so on the question of Black Agenda Report and and Prison Slavery, I would just um, point toward uh, the – if you put in, you know, the keywords Black Agenda and Prison Slavery – uh, there are a number of hits uh, several hits come up behind that so it, it's not as though um that's that's been totally um a, a wash or totally um unacknowledged uh on the part of that particular publication and then so um and shouts to rob uh from milwaukee i'm, I'm seeing uh,
2: a couple of them right now tag um i'm gonna have to listen to them later
11: no no i i i definitely appreciate that and so i i just wanted to bring that out uh given given the discussion but you know shouts to rob in milwaukee uh for for that report uh from you know these kinds of heinous practices and uh hadn't heard from him for a minute so it's just great to hear that you know he's um out here and um participating on the calls and then just uh real quick it's a three-sentence quote but we were recently on uh, Real Life Radio talking about the um, ancestor now, the brilliant uh, Walter Rodney, the brilliant revolutionary scholar Walter Rodney, and he, he wrote a very, very short um, and, and but also impactful book about the slave trade called West Africa and the Atlantic Slave Trade. And anyone... Um, who gets a chance to pick that up i would i would totally um and fully uh you know uh, recommend it especially for its brevity you know for those who don't necessarily you know read recreationally or or what have you or don't have too many minutes to read about uh slavery and 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 the history behind it um he he dropped this these three sentences that were were um just extremely um Impactful for me, and 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 I know y'all are constantly looking through all this material, but you also, you know, probably see that sometimes just words being put together, in uh, in a certain order, can kind of click things together. And, and in talking about the slave trade pre 1865, well pre 1865 in West Africa, um, he he dropped uh, the the following quote. It's three sentences. He says, however. Looking at things carefully This is on page 23 Of um, the aforementioned book However, looking at things carefully It can be seen that the Europeans And the British in particular Did not abolish the slave trade Simply out of the goodness of their hearts They had already made huge profits Out of exploiting Africa in that manner And by the late 18th century Commerce on the Atlantic Was no longer as profitable As it used to be Last sentence It was this fact which made the abolition of the Atlantic slave trade possible. And it just seems to me that that's an extremely important statement to make. Uh, We know that slavery was never abolished in the United States, but the abolition of the Atlantic slave trade was an important step toward the eventual uh, total abolition of slavery out here in the States and, and worldwide. And the fact that he's pointing toward the, commercial implications and how once they see that, you know, their coffers weren't as, um, you know, well accounted for behind the the trade of enslaved human beings, uh, it, it made certain parties a lot more susceptible to the, the logic of abolitionism. And, and I see that even in, in some of the articles that, you know, um, y'all highlighted in the thread around this particular broadcast, um, You know, namely the New York, uh, you know, um, divestment article that that you posted up, Brother Max. So uh, pardon if I ran a bit long and, um, you know, shouts for a very strong broadcast and appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Tag. And you're right. I do see uh, like about a half a dozen of them, which I shared on New Abolitionist Radio from the Black Agenda Report. Although I'm not so sure we're on the same page, but they do discuss this issue. Um, I will read one quick quote by Neil Shirley from the Black Agenda Report. It says, when people claim they have a plan to abolish prisons, make sure they are not hawking some techno-analytic, biometric, genetic-mapping, computer-based, or electronic ankle-bracelet alternative designed to ensnare us all. Rather than abolishing incarceration, they would democratize it. When it comes to phony prison abolition schemes, the president and his opposition all sound an awful lot light, 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 like Angela Davis. And that's a, a quote from one of those articles I shared on New Abolitionist Radio. All right, uh, Scotty, we got like less than 10 minutes left, so I, I don't think we have enough time to to cover any more stories. Uh, I guess um, I could do a couple of titles real quick and give you an update. Next week, we're going to uh, try to have as our guest uh, the representatives from the Black Lives Matter uh, chapter in Asheville, North Carolina, who have been guests before here, and uh, we'll have an update about what they're going through over there. Uh, according to the news, they have been monitored by police and by City Hall now uh, for the last almost two years, and that news is just coming out.
0: Well, Max, I, right, I will Scotty, take... Uh, did you want to- I'll take the writer if you'll take the abolitionist in profile.
2: Yeah. You hear me? Uh yeah, I can do that, Scotty. Yes, I can do that, Scotty. Uh let me just pull up today's abolitionist in profile. And here's what I did today, you know, because everybody knows about abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. I mean, we all know something uh about a abolitionist in profile and read his bio. But today I wanted to share one of his poems, uh, in his honor.
0: Well, Max, let me his do the poem. writer let me do the writer first and then you could do that one. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, Scotty. All right, Um, man, Fox 2 Now, uh, I tell you, man, I don't know what's up with some of these web designers. Illinois' man exonerated after serving uh, 10 years. In prison. A suburban Chicago man who spent the last 10 years in prison for murder has been released. Marcel Brown, the old part, was 18 when arrested in 2008 following a shooting at a Chicago park that left 19 year old Paris Jackson dead. He was charged despite police determining Brown's 15 year old cousin fired the shots. Authorities at the time said Brown was accountable because he drove him to the park. Karen Daniel of Northwestern Pritzker School of Law Centers on wrongful conviction. says Brown was questioned by police for 34 hours until he made an untrue statement that, and that was the basis of his conviction. Daniel says the group's investigation determined Jackson was accidentally killed by his friends. Cook County Circuit Judge Thomas Gaynor last week granted Brown a new trial. Prosecutors on Wednesday dropped all charges against Brown. And New Abolitionist Radio uh, welcomes Marcel Brown to freedom.
2: Indeed. Welcome to freedom, brother. Being coerced. What did it say? How many? 30-something hours? 34 hours of being coerced as a 15-year-old kid. Welcome to freedom. All right. Today's abolitionism profile, as I said earlier, is the Abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, and this is his poem, I Am an Abolitionist, 1848. I am an abolitionist. I glory in the name, though now by slavery's minions hissed and covered over with shame. It is a spell of light and power, the watchword of the free, who spurns it in the trial hour. A craven soul is he. I am an abolitionist then urge me not to pause, for joyfully do I enlist in freedom's sacred cause, a nobler strife for the world never saw than enslaved to disenthrall. I am a soldier for the war, whatever may befall. I am an abolitionist, oppression's deadly foe. In God's great strength will I resist and lay the monster low. In God's great name do I demand to all be freedom given that peace and joy may fill the land, and songs go up to heaven. I am an abolitionist. No threats shall all my soul, no perils cause me to desist, no bribes my nets control. A freeman will I live and die, in sunshine and in shade, and raise my voice for liberty, on naught, on earth, afraid. William Lloyd Garrison, I am an abolitionist. All right, Scotty. Um, that's it for our segments this evening. Any final comments for the tonight?
0: Yes, I just want to um, thank everyone who called in with their reports and their comments on the topic at hand. And that topic at hand is the abolishment of slavery and human trafficking, not just here in the United States where we live, but it is, as Tag was talking about, the transatlantic slave trade, Um, the Americans have exported their model of prison slavery to various continents on the planet, including West Africa. So abolishing slavery, yes, we're in the belly of the beast. And you should always work on uh, where you live, but also recognize that this is a global enemy that we are fighting. Thanks again to all who called in And shared with us tonight
2: Yes Scotty Indeed thank you to all our callers And all the people that are out there fighting And providing story and information And standing up and speaking up and speaking out uh, You're what's needed I, I just want to remind you about something though, Because you know we always see this It's almost like he said a monster It's an unsurmountable foe It's a huge giant dragon But remember At the height of the abolitionist movement in the late 1800s, only 5% of the nation were professed abolitionists, only 5%. The country was divided between pro-slavery and anti-slavery, and only 5% of those people were abolitionists. So just a few people can is all you need to change the entire world. And you can also do this. Remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace.
1: Peace. Rise up, 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 if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't
0: see the sun at all Rise up